My name's Steve Cunningham. For those of you uh, who don't know me yet, we're new here, just uh, just over a month. We're super excited to join you here at Well House. So if you're here in person or joining us online, welcome. We are so excited uh, to serve alongside of you. We just wrapped up uh, a sermon series uh was really about identity. Who are you? And so we were talking about that uh, over the last several uh, weeks together, and now we're starting off into a new message series, and it's it's really about the core, one of the cores of Wellhouse uh, together. And this is the idea of being wildly generous. And um, you were given a gift this morning. Uh, I don't know how you used that gift, but it was an extra hour of sleep. Uh, so I hope that you did not uh, waste that away. This may be the you know one time, one day a year where you don't sleep through uh, a sermon. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I know what some of you are thinking. We're going to be here a while. Steve's got his lunchbox. So. Um, I brought this because uh, you may not know this about me yet, um, but I have a problem. Well, I have many problems. My wife will tell you that. Uh, but one problem I'll tell you about uh, is that I love to collect old lunch boxes. I love to collect them. I don't really even know why. Uh, other, than, I do like lunch, um, but. Uh, there's something about that. There's something about old lunch boxes that um, it reminds me of a good time in my childhood, I think. I think that's what it is. It reminds me of something in childhood that seemed innocent and fun. It was a time where all of my uh, school friends, we would gather around together, right? We would slide up our lunchbox. We would pop open the top, right? And then we would begin trading, right? Uh, I wonder what's inside of here. It's probably gross. I'll give it to you. Give me your Twinkie, right? I mean, that was kind of, was kind of how that worked, and so now I'll confess to you, it is a problem that I have. I have a, at least a hundred or so. Um, but I, I love the history of them. I love the uniqueness of them all. And I can tell you stories about where I picked them up and, and what each one reminds me of. And some that have been given to me by friends and family. And I love that. And it reminds me a lot of a show, maybe you've seen it before, American Pickers, if you watched that before, it's one of my guilty pleasures, where they kind of go through people's barns and, and uh, you know, junk piles and sometimes homes and things like that, and they, they gather up all these kind of collectible things that maybe, you know, people have held on to for a long time, or maybe just junk, and, and then they reclaim them, they, they all have a story behind it. I watched an episode not too awfully long ago where there was a guy who he had been collecting for almost his whole lifetime. And his goal, at least he said his goal, was to make a museum of all kinds of transportation. But over the course of time, the collection of all kinds of things began to kind of compile. And he had so many buildings and he had so much stuff that the buildings were starting to fall down and cave in all around him. So he had a problem. 
He needed more money in order to start this museum, and he had so much stuff that all the buildings he had were kind of caving down around him, so the no-brainer for you and I would be, well, get rid of the stuff, right? I mean, you have to sell some of the stuff, and then you can purchase the, the building for a museum, and then you don't have to worry about the building collapsing and tearing up all the stuff that might be valuable in there. Seems like a simple solution. And then walk the two guys, Mike and Frank, who are on the show, and they're here. They come in to save the day to begin to buy stuff. But if you've ever watched the show, you know what's going to happen next. They walk in, and they see some stuff that's worth buying. They see the condition of all the things, and they begin making offers. And immediately, the guy says, no, 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 that's not for sale. You can't have that. And they spend the whole episode trying to get this guy to let loose of something that seems so valuable. Today, I want to let you know, and, and see, here's the crazy thing. I watched some of you walk in today. There's something about you that you don't know yet. But by the end of today, I hope you'll realize, and I hope that it's something that, that you won't hold on to so tightly, like this guy who didn't want to let anything go, and everything was falling in around him. Today, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy, so if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Timothy let me set a little bit of context, though, before we dive into Scripture. First Timothy is a letter. It was a letter written to a specific person named Timothy. I know, surprise, shocker of the century, right? And Timothy is trying to pastor a church in Ephesus. The problem is, is that what most pastors find is that that can be somewhat complicated. Right? There's, there's all kinds of people, and as we all come together, we all have thoughts and opinions. And those opinions sometimes uh, form in different ways, and it can be somewhat challenging. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and he's trying to encourage him and support him and give him some wisdom. And as he closes his letter to Timothy, he urges him on a few things that are really important. Now, if you've ever written to somebody, then I think writing is kind of a lost art, but if you've ever written to somebody, you know that kind of the last, the first little bit that you put in, the last little bit that you put in is really important. And here is Paul writing to Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, and this is what he says, starting in verse 3. These are the things that you're to teach and to insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly, te uh, godly teaching, then they're conceited and understand nothing. That's a bold statement. Hang with them for just a moment. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind. Have you ever been a part of a church? Have you ever been a part of a group of people? It seems like all the time these things begin to come up, quarrels and controversies, envy and strife, malicious talk and evil suspicions. 
You been there before? You ever been a part of a church that that seemed to happen over and over and over again? And here is Paul. And he says, listen, I need you to know something. There's going to be a time when you find yourself around people and this just keeps coming up. It keeps happening over and over and over again. And Paul's going to conclude this thought with something that's really revealing. He says they have a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a mean to financial gain. They have sacrificed God and instead are looking for what they can gain. They're looking to control. They're looking to hang on to something for them. And this is the group of people that that Paul is warning Timothy about. They're trying to use religion in the church to profit for themselves. Have you ever been in a situation like, have you ever seen that before where somebody in the church has tried really hard to manipulate and, and to control, to make something happen for themselves? Can I be honest with you? I've been that person before. Can you be honest with you? It might have been you too. Where you really, really, really wanted something to happen your way. And so you began to try to manipulate in in the most uh, kind of ways, in the most spiritual of ways. You began to kind of maneuver things around so it would work out to your benefit. And Paul says there's nothing godly in this at all. When the church and the mission of the church becomes about us, it becomes consumer Christianity. It's all about hanging on to what we want and how we like it. And see, the danger here is consumer Christianity is all about me while biblical Christianity is all about we. And there is no, in biblical Christianity, controversies and quarrels that end in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between people. It's not about what you gain. In fact, it's about what you lose. As you come together as a body of Christ, you wind up losing yourself for the sake of Christ. This is what God calls us to. But Paul is not done in talking about this idea of consumerism, of, of, of what we, we typically try to gain and hold on to. He's going to continue to talk to, Tiff, uh, to, to Timothy and warn him about it. In verse 6, this is what he says, But godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it, But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Stop right there. How many of you, if you just had food and clothes for today, would be super content with that? How many of you think, yeah, I I probably wouldn't complain at all. If all I had today was just enough for today. My wife and I, a few years back, we were going every year on mission trips to Honduras. Our very first year. We go there and we build some houses 
help build some houses way up in the mountains. And we get to a place that our van cannot even physically go anymore. And we're not even on roads, right? And so we get out of our van. We keep walking up this hill. And we get to a little village. And it's really just kind of shanty shacks that are, that are kind of spread out all uh, amongst uh, everybody there. And here's, here is Steve, right? This uh, larger-than-life person that doesn't look like everybody else. and can't speak Spanish. And all the kids swarm. They just know, Right? And they begin playing a game that needs no words, no communication. Tag. And all of a sudden, I find myself running through strangers' homes, which I would never do here because I get shot, right? Playing tag with kids who have nothing, listen, nothing but clothes on their back and one meal in their belly. And they are content. A little boy walks up to me and he's got half of a toy motorcycle. Half. The rest of it's broken off. And he is so eager to share it with me. As if it's the most valuable thing in the world. And what do you and I do with valuable things? He does this. It's the only thing he has. And what does he want to do? Oh, he wants to share it. Because when you're content, you don't feel the need to hang on so tight. But if we have food and clothes, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap that into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered off from the faith and uh, pierced themselves with many griefs. And Paul, as he begins to write to Timothy, is encouraging Timothy as he's going to be pastoring with people. And he encourages them to live a content life. It's not a life that gives up. It's a life that understands that what we truly need in this life, God has already provided for you. That what you truly need in this life, the Father who knows you and knows your needs will give it to you. See, godliness transforms us from comparison, which is generally where we get caught up. It's generally where we stumble the most. I find myself doing this all the time. I'm looking on Facebook or I'm looking on Instagram or I'm looking at what somebody else has and all of a sudden the thing that I have doesn't feel as good. It doesn't feel as shiny as what it did before. Because comparison begins to make us feel like we're losing out we don't have as much, but godliness transforms us from comparison to other people to contentment with God. That's what godliness does for us. And there's nothing wrong with having more money than what we need. But if that is our quest, then we're going to be off of the mark of godliness. Paul's not finished 
he's going to continue on here in verse 11, and he says this, But you, man of God, speaking to Timothy, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I wonder sometimes if we pursued that more than we pursued the control of things, if our lives might look a little bit different. Fight the good fight in faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and Jesus Christ who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command with, without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and the one and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, to whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. I love what Paul is doing here. See, aren't there times in your life when in comparison you feel overwhelmed by the fact that you don't have as much or, or the things that you would like? That maybe, maybe your family doesn't compare to the other families around you. That your appearance doesn't compare to the other appearances around you. That your financial status doesn't compare to the financial statuses of other people around you. And Paul says, listen, I, I know this sounds crazy, but how about, how about if you learn to be content in God because when you find contentment in him, he is all you'll need. He's the blessed and only ruler. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He alone is immortal and he lives in approachable light and no one can ever see or has seen. This is who God is. This is where you anchor yourself. And Paul continues on and he says this. Command those who are rich. Stop right there. I want you to think about somebody who's rich for a moment. Conjure them up in your mind. When I was young, there was a guy who went to our church and he was a millionaire. I'm not saying like he had a lot of money. I mean, he actually was a millionaire. And he owned several different businesses. And, and his house was like this mansion. I remember going over a couple of times ago. And so or a, couple, a couple of times when I was younger. And, and so when I think about people who are rich, I, I oftentimes in my mind go back to this guy. I mean, he seemed to have it all. The problem is, is that, when I talk about being rich, I don't oftentimes talk about me. When I talk about being rich, I oftentimes talk about somebody who makes a lot more, who has a lot more, who's able to do a lot more than what I can do. In fact, what I found is that through research, most people define rich as someone who makes at least two times more than they do. That's what's rich. Somebody who makes at least twice as much as you, now that person is rich. 
when I was about nine years old, I got my first job. And I think I made somewhere around 50 cents an hour. And I remember thinking, man, I was hearing about somebody who worked in the restaurant industry and they were making two and a quarter an hour. Wow. What kind of money is that? Oh, what could I do with two and a quarter an hour? And I took that job. And then I remember hearing about somebody who made $5 an hour. That was double what I was making. What in the world could you do with $5 an hour? I could rule the world. You were there. And I remember making $7 an hour. I remember, I remember one time when a, a company offered me $12 an hour and about fell out of my chair. I thought, I'm not worth it. But I'm not going to tell you that, right? <laughs> wow, I can't believe that. And somehow in my mind, I was no more rich than when I was when I was nine, making 50 cents an hour. You got me? Because our definition of rich is somebody who makes at least twice as much as we currently do. So that automatically means I'm not rich. However, when I saw you walk in today, I noticed a smile was missing from your face because you don't know how rich you truly are. Did you know, let this sink in for a moment, that if you made $1,500, not $15,000, $1,500 last year. You're in the top 20% of the world's income earners. $1,500. You're in the top 20% of the world's income earners. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or an apartment, and have reasonably reliable means of transportation, you're in a, among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. Sufficient food, decent clothes, you live in a home, you have means of transportation. Top 15% of the world. If you earn more than $50,000 annually, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. $50,000. Here's what startles me. And it's bothered me for years. Really since the first time I ever went uh, out of this country and saw poverty in mass. We built this small little hut. I mean, it was nothing more than a little hut. We put it up in, uh, in an afternoon. And it was about 10 by 10. And it was going to be the dwelling place for a young man, his wife, their baby, and his mother-in-law. Might be a little tight. And we flew home. And when we got home, Walked into my three-car garage, which I could not park in, because you know it's full of stuff. I have a space in my home where I can home my vehicles that will take me to places, but I can't home my vehicles in that space because I have so much stuff. Been there? 
Come on now. You been there? I don't think we recognize oftentimes how blessed we truly are. Command, listen to his words now again. Command those who are rich in this present world. Folks, that's you and me. I know you don't feel rich. I know you'd never tell anybody, hey, I'm rich, I'm wealthy. But the truth is you are. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth or maybe better yet, to put their hope in stuff, to cling on to it like it has more meaning than what it does. It's so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't this wonderful? I mean, there have been times in my life where I literally didn't know where the next kind of, how the next bill was going to be paid. And you know what's amazing is I've never had to worry about it. I was worried about it. But man, there was always something, somebody would always give me a little extra, even when I didn't ask. And something always came through even when I wasn't expecting it because God provides what we need. Command them to do good, underline this, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they'll be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. See, here's the thing. Being rich isn't <laughs> defined by what you don't have. It's not defined by what you don't have. Let me say it one more time. It's not defined by what you don't have. You don't have two times what you make. You have what you make. You don't have that new car that you really want. When my wife and I got married, I told her I have two bucket list things that I really want in this life. One is a 1976 MG Midget. I know what you're thinking, Steve, you'd never fit in one. That's why I also want a, va a Vaseline and a huge shoehorn, because I'm going to get in there. <clears throat> it's okay to laugh. Um, <laughs> that's right. Some of you, right, you're going to go home scarred. You don't even know what the rest I said. You're like, all I can picture is Steve and Vaseline and shoehorn, it's over. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> Nobody should be burdened with that. And a, a Wurlitzer bubble jet jukebox. Always wanted one. Don't know why. Love it. Right? And it's the bucket list item. It's the thing I don't have, but I really Being rich isn't defined by what you don't have. Man, I don't have it. But by what you do have. And friends, you are abundantly rich. You're abundantly rich. The thing is, is that we have to do something about it. Band, if you come on up to the stage... And I tell you all of this to say, as we kick off this new sermon series, that, that 
there's going to be some opportunities this month for you to, to be rich in good deeds. To do some things that, oh man, it'd be easy to kind of hold on to my time and hold on to my energy and hold on to my efforts for something for me. But it's going to be an opportunity for you to be rich in good deeds to be generous, to be wildly generous, which is one of the founding principles of Wellhouse. It's really one of the founding principles of Christianity, that there was this group of people that would outgive anybody else. It's why this movement grew, because it wasn't based on selfishness, but giving. See, if there's something about wealth and I think that there's a couple things that we can learn from it. One is that it gives us a false sense of security. Paul warns us about this, you know, that, that, that we kind of stockpile this thing, but it, in the end, it's, there's nothing there. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It gives us this sense of security that we have something that lasts, but it doesn't. And wealth oftentimes can give us an appetite for more. And the more we have, the more we want. Isn't it true? Did you ever make a, enough money? We ever walk into the office and say, listen, boss, you're paying me way too much. Why don't you give me a $5 pay cut at least? An hour. Because wealth gives us this appetite for more that's never fully satisfied when wealth is all we want. But the last thing is this. That wealth gives us a greater responsibility. See, God has given you, he has put you in a place where at the very minimum, at the very minimum, you and I who are sitting in this room today, at the top 20% of the world's income earners. So what do you do with it? Remember the story that we talked about, the guy who everything is falling in around him and things are being ruined, but he keeps saying, no, 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 no. I gotta have it. It's mine, I gotta keep it. See, eventually that guy dies. And just like my lunchboxes that I really like, one day I'll be gone too. And my kids who love me will give this stuff away. <laughs> it's true, right? Don't live your life hanging on to any more than Jesus Christ. Give it away. Give it away while you have the opportunity to give it away. Because the more you hang on to in this life, the more isolated you will become. And listen, if Paul instructed Timothy a long time ago, command those who are rich to be rich in good deeds to be generous and share, then I'm sure he would say the same thing to you and I today. Those of us who are at least in the top 20% of all wage earners, earners in the whole world, the whole world, to be rich. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? God, thank you 
Thank you for giving us way more than we need, even though we don't recognize it most of the time. But God, you have blessed us abundantly. Help us not to be lost in the blessings, but to be lost in the one who gives all blessings. To root ourselves deep in you and to see the things around us as leveraging tools that we can use to help other people. Whether it be finances or our time or our resources or our talent, whether it be our words of encouragement, our ears that are willing to listen, God, would we be rich in good deeds? Would be wealthy in the way that we're wildly generous to others? And through that, may people see that our wealth isn't here in this world that can come and go so easily, but our wealth and our hope and our life is in you. And you bring contentment. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Be blessed, church.